In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Yes, thank you, Lord. Wonderful. Praise God. Uh, it is good to have uh, everyone on this morning. Um, and I just, uh, you know, um, when, I, when uh, I was looking at the topics, uh, the last, you know, uh, four, four months, it's nearly 16 weeks we had gone through different names of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I had this, uh, you know, separation anxiety from the topic. But I have, you know, I think God has a word for us this morning. Um, but before we get into the word, I want to see if there is any testimony on this line. Because that's one thing that the enemy is afraid of. When we open our mouth and just give God the grace, I mean, praise, it's just like, a, you know, makes them nervous because it edifies the church. It edifies the body. It edifies the heart. And so if there is a, a praise item this morning. Good morning, Cyril. It's Sabrina. Hey, everybody. Um, hey. Can you hear me? Yes. I think okay. somebody's uh, uh, having us on a speakerphone, so if you can okay. put yourself on a music. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure I was getting some feedback. Um, as you all know, my, my dad passed on September the 15th, and he was struggling with dementia, and my mom was um, his primary caregiver. And she was really worried um, for a very long time about having to put him in a home. And she took great care of my dad. Um, And I just wanted to share with you his passing because it was such a a peace and comfort to me. Um, He he had had a fall. Uh, First of all, I was so lucky that I was able to spend time with him on Tuesday. We had a nice lunch together. We talked um, as much as he could. He was losing his words, but it still just being with him was a great, great joy for me. And um, we, uh, my husband Jeff was able to spend time with him because my mom had an eye procedure that morning. And um, so it was a, really, it was a beautiful day. And we got a phone call that, you know, and went over, he had fallen, but he was perfectly fine. And when we left, he was laughing and just had a lot of clarity. But throughout the day and when we were spending time with him, he kept saying, you know, I want to fly. I'm ready to fly. And I would say, well, Daddy, what do you mean? He goes, I, you know, I just want to fly. And and he said that that night before we left, it was around 11 p.m., and we got the phone call from my mom around 1 that um, he had passed. It was very sudden. And so when I got over there, um, she she said, I have to tell you this. She said, I, I asked her, so what happened? And she said, we were laying in the bed, and I, I noticed he was, you know, a little restless. And I turned the light on, and I looked over at him, and he said, Rosie, I love you. Don't worry about anything. Everything's going to be okay. And then he just passed. 
And it was oh, the most gracious. beautiful, beautiful passing. And I'm just so grateful to to the Lord for just giving us that gift and, and giving my dad and my mom that moment before it happened because he truly is with us. And I just believe that he was speaking through my dad to her. And it has made the last 11 days bearable for her. So I'm oh, very, very grateful for that. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the what, Lord. A, what a blessed ongoing. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome testimonies. Oh, hallelujah. Yes, yes. And, yes. and you are absolutely yes. right, Miss Sabrina. Mm-hmm. You know, he was ready to fly home. Yes, he was ready. And yeah. uh, we, will, we will also get ready one day to get mm-hmm. the, to, yes. uh, on that plane mm-hmm. to fly home, you know. Yes. yes. Hallelujah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Any other praise items? Hallelujah. All right. I do have a special guest today morning. Um, uh, he's a pastor, Sharon, and I'm going to put us on a speak, I mean, on a muter, so we can hear him clearly. Um, so bear with me. The conference has been muted. And uh, I had a chance to uh, meet with uh, Pastor Shan this week, and uh, I heard his testimony. And I thought it was such an appropriate testimony, um, you know, not only for our group to be strengthened this morning, but also uh, it's a perfect uh, prop for what God's going to speak to us this morning. So um, I wanted to welcome Brother Shan Robinson into this line. Brother, tell us a little Amen. bit about yourself and uh, how did you get here, brother? <laughs> Praise God. Hey, God bless everybody. Thank you all for um, the privilege to be a part of this. And uh, just to speak very quickly about the testimony that was given, I think that's just so awesome. And uh, when people move on over into glory, um, we don't always hear about the beauty of that transition. And that was just absolutely awesome. And God bless you for sharing. Um, my name is Shane Richardson, and I am a pastor at Heart Ethics Ministries in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, but at the age of 19, I was arrested by the FBI for bank robbery. Um, I was a dope dealer from probably about the age of 14 to the age of about 19. And um, we had some dealings with some guys uh, from Florida, and we wanted to have more money for packages, and we found another way to get it. Uh, we were under time restraints. We needed it, the money, more money quickly. And um, things were not as going so well for us as we wanted it to go. Uh, we were constantly in shootouts and constantly in fights, and so we said that we would rob a bank. And I was 19 years old. I had other co-defendants with me, and we planned to rob this bank out town, outside of town of Columbia, South Carolina, and we did. And that first robbery we thought was successful. We didn't uh, hurt anybody. We were able to get the money, and 
we were just astonished. We didn't have to take any chances with fighting other drug dealers or any other shootouts. We had money. And so when we did the first one, then that encouraged us to do more. Um, by the time that the FBI arrested us, it was probably about seven that they were arresting us for, but at the time we had done more than that. They arrested us. Uh, we made a call to one of my friend's mom, and uh, they had the phone bugged. They were listening, and they found us at a barbershop downtown in Columbia, South Carolina. We were on our way out of town to Atlanta, Georgia, and they caught us on the interstate as we left out of the barbershop, got in our cars. They followed us, and they arrested us. I was at 19 years old. It was December the 13th in 1996. And um, helicopters, dogs, everything that you can think of, and, and we were going to going to jail, had us on the news. And I think the worst thing for me was not just the going to jail part, um, but it was my mom and my grandmother seeing me on the news. Uh, when I saw the cameras, it was like a ton of bricks had fallen down, and I knew their disappointment. Um, even though I grew up in... Um, you know, low poverty neighborhoods. Um, you know, we grew up in the project some, but the majority of my family had come out and got degrees and had went on with their lives. And so they understood that world. My cousins, my uncles, you know, most of them had been in jail too. So they understood that they understood that world, but they did think that I would go down that path. And here I was on the news going to jail. Um, that was on the 13th. I went to jail. Uh, they separated me from my co-defendants, and they put me on the third floor of this county jail. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to use the phone. I'm walking down this hallway to use the phone, and there's a guy at the end of the hallway, and he's preaching. <laughs> and I don't make the phone call because I'm so engaged with what this guy is saying. I mean, he's yelling at the top of his lungs, and he's just preaching. And And I'm just listening to this guy, so I'm acting as if I'm on the phone. And I did that for six nights straight. I would go down there. They had Bible study at this time every night at this county jail. And I would go down that hallway as if I was going to use the phone. And I would listen. And on December the 19th, um, one of the persons who ended up becoming my mentor said, hey, brother, would you uh, want to come to Bible study? I said, yeah, I'll I come. I'll come hear what you have to say. <laughs> and um, they had Bible study. And, you know, preached, you know, taught the word and preached the message and then asked if anybody would like to be born again. And I gave my life to the Lord and, and he filled me with his spirit. Praise God. And, and, and it was, it was amazing because six days after being arrested, I was saved. And I didn't know what that meant. Even though I grew up in church, I really didn't have any experience with God. So I didn't know anything, what to do, you know, what, what is this going to happen? And every night I started going to Bible study. I stayed in the county jail for 17 months studying the Word of God. I could not understand it. Um, there was a hunger in me. My mentor said, you have to, he said, if you're going to be saved, you have to know the Bible. And he said, you're going to have to learn this Word. You have to learn the Word. And I said, okay, I have to learn the Word? He said, yes. So I, I didn't know anything. So I read, and I probably read at that time probably 30 to 40 chapters a day. I was so hungry. For the word of God, so hungry every day. That's all I did was study. I went from being a um, um, cigarette smoker. I went from being an alcoholic. I was drinking liquor every single day at the age of 19. And even when you're in jail, you can get it. And I had co-defendants who had everything, had access to everything. 
and I just stopped. Like everything just stopped. Uh, no longer had no longer desire for cigarettes, had no desire for for marijuana, had no desire for alcohol, and we could get all of that stuff in the county jail. I just didn't want it. And just in the word, in the word, in the word. So I stayed there for 17 months, and the FBI, they came um, in probably my eighth month, and they said, we're going to let this case go. And they dropped the case, and the state of South Carolina picked the case up. And they offered me 30 years. I was looking at a life sentence. I was, um, they had me robbing banks in different counties. And so with so many charges that were already on us, um, it was just no way that we were supposed to be able to get out of prison. And then to my surprise, when the FBI dropped the case, the state um, had to share what we call emotional discovery. They had to share the evidence that they had. And they didn't just have me um, with bank robberies, but they also had uh, pictures of us when I was 15, 16 years old selling drugs. They had photos. They had to have somebody that was undercover. Somebody had to be around us who were taking pictures. It was just no way that they could have those pictures with me inside of a house in the front yard without somebody being there. They were just too close. And so they had been following us all of this time, and I had no idea. And so the state said, we have you. And they said, now, you don't have to spend the rest of your life in prison, but we're going to offer you 30 years at 85%. Um, by the time I turned 20, and I'm thinking, <laughs> 30 years, I will be, you know, in my 40s when I am released. And I just went back to pray. I just realized the Lord telling me no to not accept it. Uh, my family had gotten me a lawyer by that time, and um he was like, you know, this is a, not a, not the best deal, but it may be something that you really need to think about. We can get it lower. He said, but this is probably um, somewhere around where you need to really think about, or you don't want to spend the rest of your life in prison. South Carolina had at that time had passed a three-strike law. They were threatening to charge me in every county, which would obviously give me, and it would carry an automatic life sentence. And so I said, no, I'm not going to take it. They came back to me a couple of months later. They dropped it down from 30 years to 15 years. I sat there. I said, I'll take the 15. To me, that was a lot less than 30. As we stood in front of the judge, um, it was 17 months later, and I stood in front of the judge. My mom, my grandmother was there. My aunts were there. And uh, the judge looked at me, and he said, uh, young man, for some reason I cannot send you to prison for this long. And he had my lawyer and the DA work out a deal, and they suspended the 15 years to seven and a half. Mm -hmm. And I was I was ecstatic. <laughs> I didn't expect to go to jail for seven and a half. I had already said I was guilty. I'm a believer now. I'm not going to lie. I robbed these banks. What you know, whatever God's punishment is for me, that's what I'm willing to take. And it was suspended to seven and a half. And I thought, wow, I will be home. In six and you know six years, I had already spent seventeen months in in prison. It's like wow, I would be home and it won't be too long. I went on to um, the prison uh, after the county jail and got to the prison. Became a teacher assistant to help other men get their diplomas, and I started preaching. To my surprise, the Lord had called me to preach, and I would stand in the middle of the prison yard, and every religion you could think of would come and hear the preaching. 
I didn't know what was happening. God was just all of that studying in the county jail was just flowing out of my spirit. And I would have to go back and ask the other guys, what is happening? They were like, that's the Holy Spirit using you. You know, they were teaching me what I was actually doing. And we we just preached, and we saw countless lives be saved. Um, I ended up going to a pre-release center and having favor upon favor. Um, the wardens, from down from the warden to the officers, I just had so much favor. They would bring me food uh, on my birthday. They would throw me a birthday party in their office. Um, it was just it was just extraordinary from the worst person to the best person. I just had favor and God just gave me favor um, with people who didn't like, you know, like uh, believers, people who love believers. God just gave me favor. And in that favor, I learned a lot. And the officer said, Hey, would you come to my church when you get out to preach? Cause they knew they would let me do Bible study. They would let me do church. They let us start a choir. We wrote um, newsletters for other prisoners while we were there, for other institutions. And he said, would you come to my church um, to preach when you get out? And it was an officer. And I said, yeah. Well, when I got to his church to preach, um, it's a, it's a, it's a really big church. And I got there and I preached it. And the pastor said, well, our, our uh, singles leader, one of our singles leaders, is going on a missions trip to Romania. Would you come by and teach their class? I said, Sure. So I went and taught the class, and I taught the class. They said, well, you have to come back and meet the leaders of the class. And it was a guy, and it was another girl. And, well, the girl that ended up coming back, who was the leader of the singles class, well, she ended up being my wife. And the officer who I was in jail with invited me to his church. And going to his church, I met my wife, who we now have four boys, and we're in ministry together. Um, I got out of prison in 2003. God delivered me. He saved me. He kept me from, I wasn't in one fight. Um, I never had one bruise. I was the healthiest I had ever been in my life. I was totally restored in prison. I never had that kind of peace. It was a favor on me. Heaven was literally in the prison with me. It was just a favor, and the miraculous seemed like it was happening every single day. My mom would come to see me, and I would be happy and, and, you know, talking to families on visitation. And she was like, are you okay? And everything. I'm like, Mom, I'm fine. And she, it was hard for her to comprehend that God had given me so much peace in such of a dark place. And we got out. You know, I got out in 2003. All of my co-defendants ended up being saved. Um, they also write books and preach and teach as well. Um Got out in 2003. We did evangelism work. We did prison ministry up and down the East Coast um, in different states. We went to prison carrying the message that Jesus loves you and he will save you and he will change your life. And from that point on and doing that for years of evangelism and teaching in churches, then God called us to pastor. And we wrote some books. Uh, We went on television with eight people in our congregation when we first started. We were on the basketball court. And we went on television, and then we went national. And uh, now we do social media as well as, as television. We reached over 15 million people have engaged with us um, through our social media. Probably over 40 million have engaged with us through our television ministry. And to see where God has us now um, versus where I was when I was 19 years old, it's just crazy. Even when I look back at it now, I'm so grateful. And when I when I got home, my grandmother 
and my mom, they told me that they got together and they prayed for me. When they saw me, they did a write-up on us in the newspaper. They had us on the news, and I was in the newspaper for days. And they said they kept praying, and my grandmother said she knew in her heart that God was going to change the situation. And um, she's right now, she's 95 years old, and she laughs all the time. Uh, The television program comes on. She watches it every Saturday here in Columbia. And, you know, everybody says how proud she is when they're over there, and I'm there. And she said, I knew God was going to change the situation. And so, I, you know, I wanted to not take all of your time, but I just hope that my testimony um, would glorify God, first of all, but also encourage you that no matter what the situation looks like, God can change it, and he will change it. And your prayers are very effective and very impactful. And I thank God that a mom and a grandmother and aunts were praying for me. They put me on the church prayer list, praise God, and they prayed for me. And God changed me. And he transformed me and he transformed um, my circumstances and situations. And I've been preaching in prisons ever since and um, teaching people. We um, have, you know, them come out and we teach the media and how to get involved with technology, and it's so awesome to see what God has done from where I was. And I thank you all so much for the time to share with you on this morning, and God bless you. Amen. The thing is, brother, it is such a um, you know, humbling experience to just have you come um, and speak um, to this group of uh, um, people that just are hunger and thirst and are prayer warriors, right? But here's the thing that I haven't told you. We've been praying for somebody in Colombia that will be part of our journey wow. uh, to drive because, uh, you know, um, there are um, six or seven prisons uh, in Colombia. The most number of guys that are released from prison are actually getting released in Colombia, and we want to set our base in Colombia. So. Wow. Brother, where are you from? I am from Colombia. Uh, well, it's a it's a little town right next to Colombia. It's called Hopkins. Um, right. That's yeah, right. And I, this is the yeah. God we serve. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and the thing is, uh, you know, um, in fact, I did not reach you. Somebody reached you and told yes. you about Proverbs 26. And that you to, you know. And, uh, brother, it is God's timing. Uh, also, that that plays into all this, you know. Praise and, uh, God. We're so blessed to have you, brother. Um, you know, shoulder with us in this ministry in the Columbia area for us. Um, you know, and we're looking forward to serving with the, this mighty God we serve. Amen. There's no word that uh, we can just like uh, say about this God, you know, who showed up in your life, brother. He's not done with you. Praise God. Because the Bible says, unless my father says it's done, it's not done. Amen. He Amen. had a preacher show up in your life on the sixth day, um, you know, to just like give you what he has already planted in your life. And he knows what he's going to use you for. Amen. It was just a journey and preparation time. Thank you so much, brother. We will Thank hear more so from much. you in the days and weeks and years to come. 
um, you can stay with us this morning, um, you know, um, as long as you can, brother. Yes, sir. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Father, we come before your throne of grace one more time this morning to just like offer all the sacrifices of praise that just like a flowed through this line, Father God. I just pray that these words that came out already, Father God, ministers to each and every one of us and strengthens our heart, Father God. God, we're so thankful for what you have done already. Father God, even if you do nothing from here, you've already done enough for us. And you went to that rugged cross and just like I shed every blood from your body, Father God, for every one of us. God, this, this journey that you took, Father God, you did not have to do. You didn't have to come down from heaven. You didn't have to take that shameful death, but you did for us, Father. That's enough for us. But still, as you show up every day, every moment, every minute, Father, you're showing up in our life to just like a change and just give us the strength, give us that hope, give us that grace, give us that mercy. God, we're so thankful this morning as we go into the word, Father God, we pray that you will just speak to us with clarity, God. We want to hear your voice, Father God. We want you to be, Father God, in your presence this morning. Let your word speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray, Father, for your glory. Amen. Amen. As I was saying earlier, it was like a, a separation anxiety that I had from the names of the Lord. Uh, it was such a great journey for the last four months as we looked through these various names. I'm praying that these names will show up in your life, that it will make your prayer life stronger, and, and it will give you the, 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 the moment of like a, you know, source or the, uh, an energy that you're looking for, these names uh, will be uh, ministering um, to you as well. But today, we're just going to move to uh, pick another topic this morning. I titled this, uh, this message as, Are You Resting? In your storm, are you using this storm for your benefit? Are you like you know when 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 we look at the storm, right of things that are happening in our life? I do not know, um, you know what has happened in your life all along, but if I ask you this question, have you had trouble in your life? Have you had? trouble that you were not able to handle in your life. I'm sure many on this line will say, yes, including me. We all have gone through the struggles in our life. We have all gone through something that we, we always like felt like, oh, my God, I cannot get out of this. What, this is beyond my measure of, like, strength. So we, we go through that all the time. So this morning, I'm talking about you know, how can we, you know, go through the storm? Because God hasn't promised in the Bible to save us from the storm. God never promised to save us from the storm, but he has promised to stay with us in the storm. 
he will be there. He, this, is, this is his comfort zone that he stays and he never leaves. He never forsakes. So if you have your Bibles, I want to go to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to read from verses 24 through 27. Here's the background of this verse, right? Jesus has finished an amazing ministry. If you read the earlier part of chapter 8, he has been healing the sick. He's been doing miracles and signs and wonders, right? And then the people were following him. There was a huge crowd. By the evening comes, Jesus says, let's get out from here and go to the other side of the shore, right? And so they got on the boat in the evening. He spent the whole day uh, ministering to the people. And as they were, the Bible, the verse 24 starts here, suddenly, while they were going on the boat, suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake. So the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. It's just like when I read that verse, right? And I've heard this before, too. The, the thing is, these people that were waking Jesus shouldn't be actually waking Jesus because these are fishermen. This is where the bread and butter was. They know how to deal with the storm. They should know how to deal with the storm. That's what we think all the time. I know. I've seen this in Cosby's show one time. Uh, there was this mother who was going to go on a labor. And uh, the thing is that uh, Cosby will just say to be prepared and, and just be careful and that, the, you know, what they should be doing. That the husband and wife will say, no, 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 doctor. We have gone to the Lamas class. We know exactly what's going to happen. And my husband has the whistle, and I have all the bags packed ready. And in fact, I have uh, the cookies for the drive from the home to the hospital. When I'm going there, I may just like I feel hungry. So I, will, I have everything packed up ready. I have like a, a, a couple of uh, fruit juices in my bag. So all these to just like, a, you know, calm my nerves and give me strength uh, as we are going to the hospital. And Cosby will be uh, grinning during this whole time. And then when the actual day comes and the wife says the water broke and everything falls apart, right? Sometimes we probably know what to do and how to do. But when the storm hits, we're taken off balance. And that's what has happened to these fishermen in this boat. They're waking up Jesus, who's not even a fisherman, right? and they're saying to him, Lord, save us, we are drowning. And Jesus replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it completely, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I really looked at the 
definition of the word storm. It says, a violent disturbance of the atmosphere with strong winds, and usually rain, thunder, lightning, or snow. When the problem comes, they don't come in single species. In fact, if we look at the background of this verse, Jesus and his disciples has finished something amazing work in this part of the town, and they're going to the next mission. And while they are going to the next mission, in the middle of that mission, because when we read further in the Bible, after they got on to the other side of the shore, there was this man who was possessed, a demon possessed, and he was tied to the, the stones, and he was there in the graveyard, and how God just like took the legions of these demons and put it into the pig and send them below. You know, all that's going to come. So he was going from one mountain to the other mountain, but there was a valley in the middle. That when you go from one mission to the other mission, and you are oftentimes, like a right after such an amazing ministry that has happened, we go through a period of like a storm and a valley. And that's what was happening to these disciples. And they were just like astonished by the fact how Jesus was able to control the storm. And here's the, the fact, the encouraging fact for everyone that's on this line is this. The storms are not permanent. People say, even just during this time, we're going to hear that hurricane season is something that we hear during this October, November months. Why? Because there are so many of these hurricanes, which is another form of storm, comes through in different parts of this country and across the world. And the thing is that they don't stay for months. They don't stay for years. They come for a moment and they just pass away. It is always temporary. And it is always moving. And after it just finishes, and it just got keep moves, moving. If it stays in one place, there's more this distraction and this disaster that's going to happen, but it keeps keep moving. But here's what the, the thing is. Every time the storm comes into a city, before it comes, the meteorologists come on TV, and they start to say to people, how they should be prepared. Sometimes the storm is so difficult that God just like, the, you know, the, the, the people on the TV would come and say, like, you move out of this place. You go to the higher plane. Uh, or or you just like, a, you know, get some sand. Uh, or or you can just like get some the, those the salt that you can put it in the front of the heart. So there is a time that we have before the storm comes to to prepare us for the storm. And that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. What can I do? Some of you may already be in a storm this morning. There are some things that are difficult that are going in your life. But for others, you may not have a storm, but God's like sending this message to just like a prepare us if the storm comes.
in the future. I'm not talking about this natural storm, right? It's a personal. What do we do when everything that we trusted collapses? Bad news from doctor, a business failure, a brokenness in the marriage. We're not built for storm all the time, but God is in the storm with us. Sometimes God prepares ourselves, prepares us when the life hits us on our blind spot. And this morning we will talk about how do we face the family when the storm hits? How do we face the family when we are not able to pay the rent because a job was taken away? How do we pay our children to college? There are a lot of things that we may not be ready for when the actual storm hits and God says, that, you know, I am going to prepare my children, prepare my people, prepare my, my, my servants, my friends for the storm. That's the message today is about. Sometimes God allows a storm to happen in our life so we can be prepared and get back to what is important. I know we are in the middle of a storm with the COVID going across this nation. I think this country hasn't seen what it means to live in a storm. And so COVID is not the end-all, be-all, but COVID is just a preparation ground. COVID is like this this um, media media person uh, that that's just like a getting on the TV and telling us about the storm that's coming. We don't know as a nation how to live without electricity for days. We don't know as a nation how to cope up when when the foreign planes are flying over our nation, dropping bombs. We don't know. This nation hasn't seen the real poverty. This nation hasn't seen it. So this COVID is nothing but an evangelistic platform where God is waking up his church to be prepared for the storm that's going to come. If I just like to think about there are two animals that God identified himself with. One of them is the lion we saw, the lion of Judah. When when God talks about himself, he says he is the lion of Judah. We, we studied that. Lion is the king of the jungle. But there is another animal, the bird, that God just like attaches his name towards it, which is nothing but an eagle. Eagle, just like how lion is a king of the jungle, eagle is a king of the air. And and the thing is this, why eagle? Right? Eagle knows something about the storm that we need to learn from. When the storm comes, when every animal and a bird wants to go to a place of refuge, a place of safety net, only eagles fly towards the storm. 
He is the only bird in the bird kingdom that watches for the storm. When every other animal and the bird scatters and goes, looks for a place to hide themselves, that when the storm comes, the eagles prepare for the storm. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 17, verses 3, Thus says the Lord God, a great eagle with great wings and a long pinions, rich in plumage of many colors, came to Lebanon and took the top of the cedar. When I read that verse, this particular word, pinion, just like a stuck very strong for me. What is pinion? It's nothing but an extra bone that the eagles have. And when the storm comes, eagles uses them. It uses that extra bone only then so that it can rest itself on those bones when the storm hits. The eagles look for the storm and it flies towards the storm and it locks its wind, wings and it lifts higher and higher and higher. And when the eagles, you know, reach to a highest point above the storm, I just heard this preacher say even last night that when they go above the storm, everything seems to be calm and quiet. In fact, there were, this guy was saying like about the storm, he was on a plane and when the storm hit, the, the whole plane was shaking and shaking and shaking and shaking. Everything was just like a shaking. And the pilot kept the plane on an incline so that he kept going higher and higher and higher. After, after a while, they just went to the higher than the storm. And there they saw the sun shining bright above the storm. And we read that in Psalm, Psalm 23 as well. And that the psalmist is saying, he anoints my head with an oil. And the reason why the, 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 uh, the shepherd anoints the sheep with an oil is because the oil, you know, keeps the flies away in the night that bothers them in the night. And we know the name of Satan, one of the names of Satan is Beelzebub, the king of the flies. But you know what is so important about that anointing? When that anointing is upon your life and my life, we are separated from the flies that are bothering us. In fact, the flies can only fly up to a certain altitude, above which the flies cannot come. But when God anoints your head and my head, he lifts us up above the storm where the flies cannot bother us. This morning, we're going to study a little bit about how can we rest when the storm is blowing? How can I strengthen my opinion? So here are the five things that we're going to look at, and I'm praying that this is going to be a blessing for you this morning. Five things that we can do 
as a preparation for the storm. And that the thing he says, these things have to become like our lifestyle. Whether the storm comes or not, our lifestyle has to mimic these five things, five decisions that we need to take about our life. Number one, we have to make a decision to get serious with God. It is a very powerful and a personal decision to get serious with God. And I and we heard the testimony of Pastor Shane earlier this morning, and he talked about like a how before. He, he was in the middle of the storm, and in the middle of the storm, God was just prepping him to get serious with him first. His mom and his aunt and his grandma were on their knees crying out to the Lord to just like make the presence of the Holy God show up in the life of Pastor Shane. Reading the word, prayer life, fellowship with the, the fellow believers. The, the, the storms points us back to the Lord. After 9-11, we heard for several months that people were going back to church. Because for the first time, people realized that how their life is fragile. And that the, the Lord, you know, will answer when the world has no answer. We've heard so many messages in our life about getting serious with God. He's an almighty God. And there is not someone we should, you know, the, the, the thing is like he's so amazing and powerful. And, and it, this is not something we can take in light. We have to make our relationship with God very intentional. He's a force to reckon with. And some of the things that God says, like in, in Psalms chapter 1, verses 2, he says, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on his law day and night. And I saw the message version says, you chew on scriptures day and night. There is nothing that we can say, I've reached the height. I, I don't need to read the Bible anymore. I don't need to read the word. I, I, I've prayed enough in my life. I don't need any more prayer. I've I, just like done enough good work for the Lord. I don't need to do this anymore because I've reached the saturation point. There's nobody ever can say that they know everything that's written in the word of God. Even if we have studied 20, 30 times the entire Bible, cover to cover, you read it one more time, there is a new message, a new revelation, there is a new anointing, there is a new you know, source of energy comes out of the Word. Nobody can say, I've prayed enough, there is no more prayer I can say, I can, I can just live the rest of my, nobody can say. We gotta get serious. That's a decision. He's the only one who will never leave us, nor forsake us. Everyone in this world will be gone when the light is shut, but He will be there. The number one decision that we need to make is to get serious with God. 
there used to be time that um, when I when I finish the work in the prison, when I come out of the prison, I would always think like really good about myself. But I would like, yeah, look, I've been to prison. I've done something good for the Lord. But as I started to minister, more and more I just realized what I did or what I do in that prison is absolutely nothing unless the God shows up in their life. Not with a human effort we can change somebody's life. Not with a mere word that we can actually think that the words can just like a go minister unless the word becomes real for the people that are listening to this morning. Another thing that just like a, God reminded me is this. When we come back from the ministry, we tell God, God, I really worked hard today. I've ministered to all these people, and I'm just going to, you know, take a, a pass tonight from prayer. I'm just going to take a pass from reading the Word. God, you know, it was a tiring day. It's very easy for us to negotiate like that. But know this for sure. God takes every single effort that we take so seriously. In fact, if we take time in the morning to spend time with the Lord, He actually waits for us. In the, in the songs of Solomon, he's talking about like how he jumps and leaps and waits for us every morning. God is a God that we serve. He's, he's the only one who will keep up an appointment when everybody else has uh, uh, every chance to fail an appointment. The God of this universe, when you make an appointment, he will show up at your appointment this morning. In order for us to be prepared for the storm, we need to get serious with God. We need to get serious with the Word. We need to get serious in our prayers. The second decision that we need to have is this. We need to make a decision to be transformed. We need to make up in our mind to change every faulty belief system that we have followed all along. No matter where it came from, I'm already working on it, says the Lord. You may say, what do you mean by making a decision to be transformed? Great question. Every one of us has some faulty belief system you know, in, in, in our lifestyle. We think that if I do these, these, and these, we will reach heaven. If I do pack my bag with my whistles and, and the coffee and the, and the uh, cookies, I can eat my way uh, from home to the hospital during labor. We have this, all these like a faulty belief system. And God says, you know, when you're in the middle of a Bible study, or in the middle of the believers, you may proclaim the Lord and His Word, but will you do that when you stand all by yourself when no one is watching? The Bible says in Revelation chapter 7, 9, He will gather us from every nation and every tongue. Right? When someone looks at us, 
they should look at us and beyond our color, beyond our nationality, beyond our tribe. People should only associate us to the heaven. We should change that narrative about us. We should transform our narrative from what people are saying about us. If there are certain things that we get like a really comfortable, we need to transform from that faulty belief system. There is always this narrative about men that says men are so irresponsible. We need to change that narrative. We need to transform from that narrative. Oh, he's always impatient. In fact, we even ourselves proudly say, I'm always lazy. It's just like how we just like to give an excuse for not doing something. Oh, I'm I'm always short-tempered. We we say all these things, but God says, no, 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 no. In order for you to weather the storm, you need to transform your belief system. You need to, you know, the Bible says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know, remember, beseech your brethren, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Be transformed. Be transformed by renewing of your mind. And the Bible says, like, you know, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of service. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's the thing. We need to constantly transform our belief system. We need to constantly work on our belief system. We saw a couple of weeks ago in the lion's walk in the the jungle. You can see that lion is not the tallest animal in the animal kingdom. The lion is not the fastest in the lion kingdom, in the, in the animal kingdom. Lion is not heaviest. Lion is not smartest. But when you see in the Discovery Channel how the lions are walking, there is a swagger in the lion's life as they walk in the jungle. You can see how they believe that nobody can come near them. And when they, when they see even animals bigger than them, like an elephant, when they look at the elephant, they think that it's a lunch. Even though elephant is a much bigger than what they can handle, they believe in their life that there is nothing that can stop them. And God is saying, you need to transform your belief system. The children of Israel left Egypt in one day. But how long did it take for Egypt to leave them? Forty years. Every time a trouble showed up, they went back to Egypt in their mindset. Unless we are physically separated from a territory, we are not delivered from the territory. God kept them in the desert until they're delivered from their slavery mindset. God is letting us know this morning, you and I 
have to make an intentional effort to change the narrative of our life, change and transform what we believe all along. We need to get to a place where we need to believe that God is going to show up in your life and my life. Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says, God is talking about so many blessings in that chapter. But here's what he says. In the beginning of that chapter, chapter 28, verses 1, it says, If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Transformation doesn't come by anointing. You may say, what do you mean? Transformation doesn't come by anointing. You and I have to make an intentional effort to transition and allow the grace of God to intervene we need to have this superior belief system. We need to have God's word do its work. We need to transform what we currently believe. If there are anything in your belief system this morning that you have over the period allowed it to happen, God is saying, when the storm comes, the old belief system is not going to hold up. You need to be transformed in your mind. You need to start to write down the things that you want to change in your life. Sometimes, you know, the time that you spend on TV, the time that you're spending on watching certain programs or, you know, the things that you do, if it is not going to help us, in the eternal life, for eternity, we need to transform from that. We need to transform our belief towards like a why we have to do this. Number three, we have to make a decision to be exceptionally valuable, to be valuable. We need to get over the realm of mediocre lifestyle. The, the mediocre lifestyle is where the competition, the jealousy, the envy, the flesh, all those things will show up in the mediocre lifestyle. The Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, it is Jesus who's talking about it in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and, the, and beat on that house. It did not fall because it has been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and a great was the fall of it. The storms exposes our weaknesses. 
our life needs to be built on a proper foundation. When we start to live on the mediocre lifestyle, then we, we become very vulnerable when the storm hits. We need to have an excellence in our spirit. We have to make our life so valuable by living on a higher standard. No one will clap for nothing. Remember this. Sometimes the enemy claps when, when, when you fall. Enemy laughs and claps when you fall. When we, when we fall, the mediocre people laugh and clap. This is one thing I wrote about in my book. My, my, my aunt, whenever she was feeding me, she always tell me, don't let the world laugh at you. Every time she fed the food, she always said this. At that point in time, it didn't make sense for me. But as I grew and grew and grew in this life, it makes more sense what she was saying. She was saying, when you fall down, when you go down, the people around you will laugh at you. But here, God is saying, you know, have your life more meaningful. Have your life more valuable. For, for there is nothing in our life, you know, if there is nothing in our life that supports the God's kingdom, then, you know, our life is far from God. If there is nothing in our life that supports the community, then we are far from what God is talking about. God is saying, you know, stay away from the mediocre people. Stay away from the mediocre things. Make your time count. Make your moments count. No one will remember us nor clap when we do wrong things. They will be laughing at us. Someone last week told me, as we age, we move from being successful to significance. We start to think about not being successful in, in what we do, but instead we start to think of, like, a, how can I make this with significance? And that's what I really love about what Pastor Shan said, Shan said earlier, that he was moving from being successful into making a significance. Even after he got out of the prison, he just did not, you know, stay in just doing like a, just the preaching because that's what God just like made him to do when he was in prison. But instead, what he did is like a, he started to explore other areas of his life and he started to open up the television. He started to go national. He started to see like a, how God can use his talent to reach out to the 15 million people that have been reached out through this ministry. We have to constantly challenge ourselves to be more valuable for the kingdom of God. Here's the thing. I don't intend to know everything. I cannot become an astronaut. I cannot become a, a pilot. I cannot become a doctor. I cannot become the, 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 the um, you know, uh, a driver um, uh, of a truck. I cannot become any of those things because that's not my skill set is. But here's the thing. 
But in the area that I'm working, I want to be exceptional. I heard earlier in the week uh, on Friday night, Miss Lisa say how when she went to work, there was an accolade, recognition about her white, uh, about her work. Why? Because Miss Lisa was striving for excellence. We shouldn't compare ourselves to the mediocre people. Our standards should be much higher. We have a standard set for each and every one of us. And we need to live our life towards it. The Bible says very clearly in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, in, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The world has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we gave our life to Christ, we are leaving behind all the old things. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. You and I are the prophets who can actually take God's word to tell in truth. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through, through him who strengthens me. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Praise the Lord. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. John 15.15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. The lifestyle that we live has to match to all these verses that the Bible's talking about. You are a new creation. We don't need to go back to the old thing. God has chosen us to be a prophet. He has given us the strength to endure. He has, to, he has given us his glorious presence in our life. That's why we shine like a light into this world where there is so, many, so much of darkness. We have to be a champion for the kingdom of God. We have to see the champions clap for us, not the mediocre people. When we see about the life of the eagle, they go through the storm. They soar towards the storm, and through the storm, they lift them up. And when it goes about the storm, they don't see another chicken in that place. They only see another eagle. When we live in a mediocre society like what we have, we must constantly challenge ourselves to make our life more valuable. 
We have to make our minds to be valuable. We, we cannot celebrate mediocre life. If, if you are ministering to somebody through worship, we, ha- we have to do it with the excellence. If you're working as a clerk at a ticket counter, we have to do it with the excellence. No matter what we do, we should do that work that God has given to us with the excellence. The grace of God will become our witness. We have to do whatever the Lord has given to us today as a father, as a mother, as a sister, as a brother, as an uncle. The role that we play where God has placed, we have to do it with excellence. I've heard. Sometimes people say, I'm so young. Or, or, or they say, I'm old. In fact, I've, I've seen sometimes even pastors are saying, I'm a pastor, I'm a minister of gospel, I'm a man of God, and this is the only way I will do it. No. That ministry will suffer if it wasn't done with zeal and with the proper understanding of God's word and in humility. If whatever we do is not of excellence, it is really hard to weather the storm. We cannot, I'm not here this morning to condemn you for every wrong thing that you've here, done in the past, but instead we need to constantly challenge our attitudes and motives. We know what the storm can do. When it comes in, here's the beautiful part about the storm. We always think a storm is like a bad deal. But here's the thing. I read somewhere that when the storm passes through a city, the storm actually cleans that city. It cleans the water. It cleans the air. God is saying, in order for you to weather the storm, you need to make yourself mad. The fourth decision that we need to make is to have a, a strategic destiny relationship that are intentional. Before this storm, this is one of the biggest preparations that we can do to ourselves. The relationship that preserves our value, the relationship that challenges us to raise a bow in our spiritual growth. When we have somebody in our life, they should be helping us to grow in the Lord. Bible says, be fruitful. What does it mean? Be relational. God is asking us to connect with one another. We can never be all by ourselves. We need to categorize all the people that we have in our life. If we don't do that, then there is no wisdom. We have to have top five people in our life that deserves this honor. These are the people to whom we can lean on. We can lean our shoulders on. These are the people that we can depend on when the storm hits our life. When we are stuck in the middle of the night and we call upon this person, they will drop everything and come and show up in our life. We cannot share everything with everyone. There is no wisdom in that, but only to the certain people that we have in our life. We need to have that kind of a genuine relationship. 
we, we should love everybody. We should treat everybody respectfully. I'm not saying that, the, you know, you only need to treat the only few people respectfully. No, that's not what I'm saying. But we need to have a dream team around us. Jesus had 72 in his life. Jesus had 12. Jesus had three. And Jesus had one. He categorically separated them. Why? Because he never treated everybody equal. He did certain things with certain people. He took the last three when he went on the night before he was crucified into the mountain. He spent time with the Lord, but he only took the three, not the 72. When we go to prison, I think it looks like it's going to start back again. Um, and every time I went back, every time I went to prison in the past, there were three people who were always there sitting in the front of those rows. Miss Sarah, Miss Brenda, and Miss Colette. Even now, when I run into something, I call on them. They need to bounce something off. They're listening. I know. They have the best thing for me. And the thing is this. We need to have that kind of a relationship, that kind of a people in your life and my life. Proverbs says, he who walks, in Proverbs thirteen twenty. he says, he who walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Jesus fasted. If, if, if I ask, before I say that, if I ask you this morning, who do you have in your life that qualifies those five? Do you have an answer for that? Can you think of about five people in your life this morning? Jesus fasted all night to choose his two people. It takes time to build that relationship that becomes serious in your life. I always love to walk around the Billy Graham library because there are so many things that I sourced from that library. One of them is that I, I stand there and watch how he preaches with confidence, with absoluteness on the gospel of God. He would never sacrifice on what God says. I love that place where he just starts to preach, and I watch him preach to these millions of people because there's something about that he's just like doing to those people because he believes that in himself, what he's preaching on. If someone's preaching, they have to believe what they're preaching on, right? But there is a room there in that library where it shows all the people that work with the brother Billy Graham, Reverend Billy Graham. And when I walk around and see all these people, each of them have worked with the Billy Graham for 30 years, 35 years, 40 years, and so on. They stayed with him, and they invested on Reverend Billy Graham, and Reverend Billy Graham invested his life upon them. These are the worship leaders. These are the prayer warriors. These are the organizers of different crusades. They stayed with him. 
If we don't have those people in our life, we cannot go too far when the storm hits our life. If we talk to whoever is available when the storm hits, that's not wise. John 3, verses 1 through 21, it tracks an incident about a man named Nicodemus. He's a ruler of Jews. He was a Pharisee, but one night he comes all by himself and speaks to Jesus. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God, for no man can do these miracles than you, except you, God, right? He makes a decision to spend a day with Jesus. He came alone and spent time with Jesus. Sometimes we need to have that kind of like a one-on-one. We, you know, I, I have this, uh, you know, there is a fitness center here uh, in, in Charlotte. And when you walk into that fitness center, there is like a big board that says no judgment. Nobody judges you for your weight. That's what they're saying in that. The Planet Fitness, when you walk into Planet Fitness, that's one of the things that you're going to see inside of that gym. And here's the point that I'm making. We need to have somebody in our life who will not judge us. Even when we make a mistake, they know because they're treating us with love. It is a decision that Judas made to act all by himself. He thought he killed Jesus by betraying him. He has no idea that Jesus was already, you know, going to go to the cross. He need not have betrayed him. Jesus was giving his life already, uh, you know, to, to die on that rugged cross. It was already written two, three, four thousand years before how Jesus is going to die. Judas, because he acted alone, he didn't have a council of people. He just thought he killed Jesus. And in, in, in effect, he killed himself right after he got the 30 pieces of silver. If we don't have a covenant relationship when the storm hits, we are in a very vulnerable position. The days are going to come and things go, you know, from bad to worse. We need these people that are closer to us. We need those covenant relationships with those brothers and sisters in our life. Earlier in the week, on Friday night, I heard about Miss Lisa. Her son was just like a released on a, a bell. But you know what is it so significant about that story? There was, this, there was a man who showed up in their life that Miss Lisa has invested before in that man's life. He came through and paid in full what was the bond amount. And now he is home. He showed up. Why? Because of not what happened on that day, but something that happened years before. We need to be investing equally on the relationship that we have, those four or five people, we cannot be just always be taking and taking and taking out of their life. 
we need to get back into their life as well. Those four, five people, Jesus had only three. But if you are, are going to have those four or five people, we need to invest on that relationship. It's like a bank. We cannot withdraw without depositing. Our spiritual growth depends on this person. That we have closer in our life. I heard these terms that people use when they type in on, um, on that, um, you know, communicators or in the social media, these, these, these new generation, you know, millennials, they, they, they type in, in short sentences like a three character word that means something. Um, you know, I saw one that says TFN and I was trying to see what is TFN? It means Tata for now. They're saying goodbye. They could say goodbye, but they still put in like a fancy TFN, right? And there is like a one that says FFF. Sometimes I've, I've seen BFF, but there's one called FFF that was new to me. And, and uh, they categorize certain people as FFF, which means friends for food. They show up in your life because they need something from you. But God is saying, invest on a genuine, sincere people in your life because they need to show up. They will show up in your storm and my storm. I know this is a little over the time, but let me finish the last point. In order for us to get through the storm, we need to be spiritually empowered. We need to have a supernatural encounter with God. We need to expect God to move supernaturally in your life and my life. It takes more than quoting scriptures. And we start to just like I quote scriptures all the time. We become like a spiritual archaeologist. It's no good. We need to apply them. We need to stand by them. We need to allow God to just intervene. Psalmist says in Psalm 92.10, You have exalted my heart like that of a wild ox with a fine oil I have been anointed. There must be a smearing of this oil upon your life and my life. And that's what Jesus said as well. In John 14, 12, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to be, I'm going to the Father. We need to be ready. We need to be ready for the storm. We need, when we are in the middle of the storm, we need to have that kind of like a energy to storm this weather. If there is no genuine anointing in your life and my life, you know, we, we become very desperate. The problems are real. The issues are real. But you know, more than important, that grace and his mercy is even more real. That supplies with a supernatural, you know, uh, energy into your problem and my problem. When we are going through a storm, what we need is another advice. What we don't need is another advice. What we need is God to show up in our life. God says in Luke chapter 11, verses 19, 9 through 13, 
he says like a, you know if anyone who who knocks the door will be open to everyone who knocks the door will be open everyone who seeks finds everyone who asks receives if your son asks for a fish would he give him a snake instead or if he asks for an egg would you give him a scorpion if so if you even though you are evil still know to give a good gift to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him don't settle for the shower don't settle for the comfortable the people in the early 1900s the asusa street the the people who showed up at asusa street they never compromised or settled for their comfortable zone and that's why they went night after night after night after night after night worshiping the lord and asking for a supernatural intervention you cannot ask for the supernatural when you are in the middle of the storm you have to ask for it now so we will be prepared for the time when the storm hits that's why during the days early 1900s we saw in that revival crusades and meetings the cancers were getting cured the the tumors were falling apart people who came in crutches and wheelchairs left it behind because when they left from there they were walking out of that room why because they encountered something supernatural this morning what i'm talking about is how to weather the storm how do we rest on our opinion when the storm hits we're talking about like what the eagle does is that when the storm hits it goes towards the storm because one of the things that the eagle knows is that when it goes towards the storm the the air the the the, the breeze and the 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 whole strong winds cleans the feathers of these eagles and god is reminding us this morning to get serious with him clean out the dirt from the wings make a decision not to be a mediocre in this life make a decision to be exceptionally valuable for the kingdom of god make a very strong decision to have a strategic destiny relationship and we need to expect the unexpected supernatural and it takes time for us to be prepared for this may god bless you brother wins thank you brother cyril for a message of are we resting in the storm God has not promised us to save us from the storm. He's with us through the storm, because he's promised never to leave us. A reminding of, from the story of Matthews 8, 23 to 27, uh, the fishermen, professional fishermen, were scared. They've never seen a storm this big. Jesus is asleep in the boat. They were going to the other side. When Jesus says we're going to the other side, you're going to the other side. And they doubted him. 
And the storms, we remind that the storms are not permanent. And as we're going through our mission, you're going to the other side, you're going through the mountaintop experiences, but then you go right through the valley when the storm hits. These storms, whether you're in a storm now, you will be in a storm in the future. And we need to be prepared for that. He prepares us. And God used the eagle as an example. He flies towards the storm, watches the storm, uses to lock its wings. So what five things can we do to prepare for the storm that Cyril reminded us today? It has to become our lifestyle. We make a decision to get serious with God. An intentional decision. A habit that has to be created every day of our lives. And we have to have a hunger. As Shane Richardson said, you have to have intention. Transformation. We need to make up our mind to be transformed. Transforming our belief system. It needs to match our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as his. It starts in our mind, what we listen to, what we watch, what we hear, an intentional effort. But we have to allow the grace of God to work in our lives. And thirdly, we want to be exceptionally valuable for the kingdom of God. Reminding of valuable, we have to how how do we see ourselves? We are children of God. We are royal priesthood, heirs of the Most High. We say that sometimes, those words, and we really don't understand the meaning. Child of God. Think about that. And then we'll realize how valuable we are to his kingdom. Now, those storms expose our weaknesses. God knows our beliefs and our faith. What is that storm? The storm is for us because he already knows. That storm is for us to test our faith and our beliefs. Number four, who are your strategic relationships? Who are your genuine relationships? Who can you count on? Who can you connect to? Who challenges you to grow, to lean on when that storm hits? Who can you count on? Who is your dream team? Number five, Spiritually empowered, supernaturally. Is there a genuine anointing on your life? We know the problems are real, but we have to count on this grace and anointing are more powerful and real. Call and believe on this grace. It will supernaturally happen. And we have to believe. Have you asked for it now? Sarah? Amen. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, rebellion, or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. We know that we are your beloved children, having received you into our hearts and lives and having accepted our death as penalty for our sinfulness. The price you paid covers us for all time. 
and our desire is to live for you. As we take the bread representing your life that was broken for us, we remember and celebrate your faithfulness to us and to all who will receive you. Thank you for your extravagant love and unmerited favor. Thank you that your death gave us life, abundant life now and eternal life forever. We receive this bread in remembrance of you. And in the same way, we take this cup, representing your blood poured out from a splinted cross. You are the supreme sacrifice for all of our sin, past, present, and future. Today, we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life you gave us through the blood you spilled. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The night before Jesus was crucified, he just uh, you know, spent some time with his disciples and he said, like, uh, you know, he had given thanks. Uh, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread in remembrance of him this morning. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the drink. Hallelujah. Father, we come before your throne of grace. God, we know you have spoken to our hearts this morning to take you seriously, God. To transform our lives. And make us valuable, Father God, for your kingdom. And God, we pray that, you know, you send the meaningful people that we can, Father God, have in our life that we can depend on. And Father God, we can do nothing without your supernatural intervention into our life. God, I just pray that even now, as we come before your throne of grace, as we go into this world, Father God, into the next day and the weeks to come, Father, if there is a moment in our life, Father God, we can take time to just like think through these five things that we talked about. Help us, God to be prepared for this time. You are the God who knows every detail of our life. God, if there is something that is not clean before you, Father, God, we pray, just like how the eagles clean their feathers, God, clean our life and make us, Father, God, valuable in the kingdom. We surrender ourselves, Father, into your mighty hands. You take the glory and honor in Jesus' name we pray, Father, for your glory. Amen. Amen. The conference Amen. has been unmuted. Hallelujah.